welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a weekly show that's released every Friday, and this is episode 72. Now, to celebrate Halloween this month on Horror Movie Podcast, we're bringing you in-depth feature reviews and analysis of the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and we're doing it Horror Movie Podcast style. And this is the third part of our five-part series where we'll be reviewing A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master from 1988, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child from 1989. And just so everybody knows up front, we usually don't reveal spoilers on this podcast, but I wanted to give you fair warning during these franchise reviews. Everything is fair game, especially up through the first five Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh. Wanna suck face? No. <laughs> I do not. I, you know, I don't like your, your Freddy quips during this very much. <laughs> but, uh... You know what? We actually have... So if people are wondering about Dr. Walking Dead, Kyle Bishop, everybody, Josh, tell them about Kyle's recent appearance and where they can hear him. Uh, Kyle was on a great NPR program. Um, I guess it's actually technically a PRI, Public Radio International program. Uh, was it today or yesterday? Um, I yeah, I think it was yesterday. As we record this, it was yesterday. Which is radio. which is relevant for everybody out there. Right? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> which is a which is a show called Radio West, and it is uh, through the Salt Lake City local NPR affiliate KUER, and they had a zombies episode. And who better to have on as their guest for a zombies episode than Kyle Bishop? And so Doctor Walking Dead went on there and represented and talked about his books and everybody should definitely check it out. We can put a link to it in the show notes here, or yes, I was thinking we could even post it for one of the 31 days of horror posts. If we get lazy with our writing, <laughs> that's a great idea. <laughs> like Kyle's contribution. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And, and in fact, I just received like two days ago as we record this, I received his new book in the mail and I'm very excited about it. I love it. Um, I did notice, however, I just want to say this up front. The first book had some illustrations in it, and this book has no illustrations in it. So he went hardcore and nose to the grindstone, no pictures in this. So just so everybody wow. knows, right? Nice. I don't read books without pictures, so <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, huh? Okay, so before we get into this, um, what do you want to call it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, four and five. Um, Doctor Shock last week, he was like, at, like totally out of power and everything. Right, yeah, right, Dave. So yeah, you didn't get to so weigh bad. in on two and three. And so, um, why don't you tell the listeners kind of where you stand on those movies and just give us an overview, please? Okay. Well, number two, and I didn't get a chance to hear any of your guys' comments yet. Well, they were yeah, good. Shows, they were. I'm sure they were, but I'm, I'm just scared. saying they haven't. They haven't posted yet. Um, but for me, number two, obviously, I had. Um, it's it's not one of the better uh, sequels, and it's a shame because normally, if you think about it, number 
the number two movies in, in a lot of franchises are, are strong entries. You know, if you think of Friday the 13th and Halloween, uh, both of the second movies in, the, in those, um, uh, you know, in those series are pretty strong. Um, and even some of them, like the, 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 like Scream 2 and, and even like Child's Play 2, at least just as good as the first movie. And, 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 uh, you know, Scream 2 was an entertaining sequel. Um, I remember, uh, Leonard part six was good, Dave. Oh yeah. Right. Well, I didn't, I don't know about Leonard part two though. I never saw Leonard part <laughs> right. two. Um, and it's not always the case because obviously Exorcist 2 was not that great. And there were other instances where the second movie didn't live up to it. But this one I thought was really, it, it, it tried to take it in a new direction. It, it tried to take, um, you know, that, that Freddie was going to come out into the real world as what his goal was. I mean, he really wanted to sort of, uh, you know, break out of the dream world and get into the, in, into the real world, which in my mind was uh, the complete opposite of, of what he probably would have wanted to do. I mean, he was, he was the man in the dream world. I mean, he, he could, he could, he could manipulate, he could do whatever he want. You put him out in the real world. I mean, there's a scene in that movie where he's running around on, on a pool, you know, by a pool there, there's a party going on. And I don't remember there being a single memorable kill scene in that whole sequence, you know, mm -hmm. because I just don't think he was as effective outside of the dream world. And I don't know why he wanted to leave the dream world. And that was kind of what that movie was about. Like he was using this, this kid as, as this catalyst to, to, to break out. Um, but there was some interesting, there was a, 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 there's one thing about the movie and I was thinking about it and I, I had reviewed this a while ago on the blog and, uh, there's a scene where the, this kid ends up in a bar, like the, the, the star of the movie, he ends up in a bar and his teacher comes walking up in, like in full leather. Like this is, mm -hmm. this is obviously a gay bar. Yes. And his teacher just comes walking up in full leather and I know when I wrote it up on the, on, on the blog, I said it was about as, you know, a bizarre as it comes, you know, that scene. But the more I was thinking about it, it's actually kind of interesting for a movie in the 1980s, because not only does it not sort of poke fun at the whole thing, you know, it, it doesn't really poke fun at the teacher. Not only that, it, 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 like the teacher doesn't come up and say, oh, no, don't tell anybody you saw me here. It allows him to maintain his authority over this kid. And, yes. you know, he takes him back to the school and you're expecting something kind of creepy to happen. But that's not what it was about that way either. It was he was still the authority figure. He still was correcting this kid for going out and, and drinking underage, even though he himself was in a position in the 1980s might have might have gotten him fired from his job, if you think about it. Hmm. Um, and I thought that that was kind of a really interesting way for the movie to approach it. You know, and I, I thought about that afterwards. I said, because in any other movie of the 80s, that would have been like a source of comedy, a scene like that. Hmm. Yeah, they do tackle social issues in these Freddy films. I mean, up in part five, which we'll talk about tonight, obviously there's some abortion and mm -hmm. teen pregnancy right. and, you know, things like that that they're right. covering. But overall, I, again, I don't think the movie... It just it didn't work. I don't I don't think number two worked. Uh, if I were to put a number on it, I might say like three and a half. Oh wow. Um, yeah, it it just didn't it didn't work for me at all uh, as as an as an entry in the series. Um, whereas whereas number three, Dream Warriors, I was really Dream entertained. Dream Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was I was very entertained by Dream Warriors. Because I think that, yeah, Freddie does sort of rattle off a few one-liners in that movie. 
Not as many as I remembered, though. I seem I remembered that he. I seem to remember him doing a lot more. But when as I watched it again, I was like, you know, he's still kind of creepy in this. He's he's still sort of menacing. You know, he's he's not the straight up comic Freddy Krueger in Dream Wars. At least he wasn't for me. Uh, and I did like the kids. I liked the collection of kids that they had at the clinic. Uh, I thought that they I thought that they were strong characters, and the fact that they sort of bonded together. Um, you know, for, with this, uh, with this common issue, I liked that. I liked the little, even though, you know, the, the little subplot that it got off, we learned a little bit more about Freddy Krueger. Um, some of the, the, the cast was actually pretty good. I mean, who would have thought you'd have seen uh, Dick Cavett and Zsa Zsa Gabor <laughs> making, making a cameo appearance in, in a, in a horror movie in the 1980s. Right. Um, and then you got a young Lawrence Fishburne in there. And of course, John Saxon came back. And, uh, and I thought that was interesting, the sort of where they had taken that character. Uh, I don't think Heather Langkamp was any better <laughs> in number three. She's a little um, bit better. Yeah, but, yeah but, but not measurably better, though. <laughs> she's still not good. I think for on right. her scale, she's improved quite a bit. <laughs> okay. And Craig Watson is an actor I always liked, but I just don't know that he worked in that role. I don't think he was bad, per se. I just don't know that he's that type of actor. Okay. I mean, when I see him, I there was this this thing I used to watch on the Fourth of July when I was younger called um, "A More Perfect Union: America Becomes a Nation." He played James Madison, and that's always the type of role I sort of pictured him in, you know. And I know he's tried other things and he's done other things in his career. I know he was in the um, the Palma. Oh boy, what was that? Was that um, what was the De Palma film? Body Double. I can't remember which one he was in. Mm. Um, and I know he was in Ghost Story. Uh, and things like that. But there's just something about him that I don't know that he fits in those roles that well. Uh, but that said, I really they should have got William cat. <laughs> yeah. William, well, you know, I, I don't know about that, but I, I know he probably would have been, I, I just don't, I just don't think Craig Watson quite fit in it. Um, but I still really did like uh, uh, dream warriors. I probably would give that one, believe it. I'd give that one an eight. Cause I really had wow. fun watching that one again too, baby. Yep. Wow! I mean, you... Don't mean to call you baby, but <laughs> no problem. <laughs> well, I don't, know, I don't know where you guys came in on those movies. We we actually liked we both liked two pretty well, don't we, Josh? We liked it better than yeah, I think probably most of the horror community would like it. Yeah. Wow. See, yeah, I just didn't. I just didn't. It didn't work because he, why would why would he try to break out into the real world? Why would he do that? Well, once that part starts, I don't like it as much. It, it's very convoluted, and really most of these movies are pretty convoluted in terms of the logic. They don't make a lot of sense. Right, Again, right. when we get to the dream child, <laughs> we'll have some conversations. <laughs> right, right. But, but yeah, like uh, I do think that it's an interesting concept that he would use that kid as kind of a, a murder weapon, like a vicarious mm -hmm. murder weapon. And so I kind of appreciate it on the same level that I appreciate Alien Resurrection because like, yeah, in the Alien franchise, that fourth movie doesn't really fit super great. But um, as a one-off horror flick, it's pretty entertaining and that's how I feel about uh, Freddy's Revenge. Okay. All right. But, and then how about Dream Warriors? I don't know where you guys came from. I loved that it. One. Yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. We dig it. Yeah. yeah it's pretty it's fun. That's, 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 that's a lot. It's, it's probably, well, I don't want to go into too many spoilers for future episodes, but it's probably my second favorite. Mm. 
Interesting. Okay. Well, good. Well, th- thanks for let- catching us up on that. We wondered what you were thinking yep. last week in the dark. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm glad you're here again with well, us. Yeah. Good to be back. So, all right then. So without any further delay, let's move into our feature review of A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master from 1988. Second to none. Don't let them put you to sleep. He has no mercy. And no evil. Now no one sleeps. Get ready. This August, your wildest dreams will come true. How sweet, fresh meat. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 4. The Dream Master. So, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, opens with a uh, scripture from Job Chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. I haven't checked this to make sure that they quoted it correctly, but it reads... (laughs) When deep sleep falleth on me, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. So, pretty creepy. I'm, I'm getting a little nervous how long the synopsis is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm going to read the book of Job to you for this. <laughs> well, no, it's just that the book of Job was about two seconds, and we've already... <laughs> about 30 seconds <laughs> wow i didn't i didn't know dave was on a schedule tonight like i'm just messing. I, I, I guess i guess i picked that up from you jay i know i'm I, I watching the clock here <laughs> that's right i'm a clock watcher i'm not even ashamed okay so here's the thing um this is more or less a continuation of a dream warriors right i mean th- this kind of follows suit where we have the survivors, we have some survivors, and so Freddy is coming back to take them out as well. And the the first thing I want to say about this is just so people know, did you were you aware that this is supposedly the highest grossing slasher film of the eighties? I did read that. Yeah, it's like forty five million dollars. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Forty five. Forty nine. Forty nine million. All right, but I didn't yes, know I, that, I, but I'm not surprised because Freddy Krueger took off like a rocket after this yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, it's like extremely popular. And the reason why um, Patricia Arquette, who played Kristen in the third, you know, the third installment, she couldn't return because she was pregnant during filming. That's interesting. I watched the Never Sleep Again documentary finally, and. They asked every single person why she didn't come back, and they all gave a different answer. So <laughs> glad you're able to dig that up somewhere. Yeah, well, that may you know that's what I read, but who knows if it's true? But here's the here's the thing that all the listeners need to know: if you have not seen this movie, okay, this is the lore at least. I, I just want to communicate this lore to people. I've actually heard this in other places, so this is probably in that. I haven't revisited the Never Sleep Again documentary, so maybe that's where it is. But um, this cracks me up. So during the writing of the film, you have director Rennie Harlan and some of the producers, they, they actually ran into James Cameron, according to legend and according to IMDb trivia. And, and Cameron, Cameron asked Harlan, he said, how are they going to bring Freddy back this time? <laughs> and Harlan said, quote, 
a dog pisses fire on him and he comes back to life. <laughs> and um and that really is what happens, basically. Uh-huh. And, and, yep. and and that's how they bring him back. Now um in hilarity and Susan, all that jazz, it's the usual. But it, the first thing I want to talk about with this, you guys, is what the fact that he comes back every single time. I don't know. Like, for some reason, it doesn't bother me when Michael Myers is always able to come back or Jason Voorhees is always to come back. But with Freddy, it's like since he comes back every time and there's no way to, like, put him down permanently, it just takes away all the suspense for me just mm. completely. And, and it, I, you know, it's just like I don't care about them beating him. It's like it's almost like this perfunctory thing they have to do in order to end the movie to show the credits. So Freddy has to die for the credits to be shown. But you know that he's going to come right back again. Yeah, but isn't isn't that it, that is the same case with the other two with the Halloween it series is. and the Friday the Thirteenth also. It is, and you pretty much know that when another movie is going to be made, you know that's the whole thing. I mean, I guess back in the eighties and, and early nineties when they were making these movies, they didn't know if another one was going. You know, they, you make one bomb and that's it; it's over. What I don't like about it, oh, sorry, I'm yawning. <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> What I didn't like about it is the the need to resurrect him, you know, like in our in our Jason six or whatever. I don't like the idea that we have to have the dog pee on him to bring him back to life, that his bones were laid to rest, all these different all this mumbo jumbo. I don't care about that stuff. I think it makes sense that Freddy never dies because he's not real. He's just a dream and that he exists only in the dream world. Right. I think that's actually interesting for him as a character, because I like the idea of there's really no way to stop him. It's only it's kind of like what Nancy does in the first film. You just take away his power by ignoring him, essentially. Or like they do in the Dream Warriors, kicking his butt so he leaves you alone. I think the sucky thing about part four is that they kill off those Elm Street kids right at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. yeah. And I think it would be cool if Freddy kind of has to move from victims to victims looking you know looking for fresh meat as it were mm-hmm. as people learn to How kind sweet. of yeah <laughs> as they learn to because it's really like to overcome the freddy monster it's really about self-control or self-mastery you know um, being a dream master and and so i think that's kind of a cool concept and i think it would be awesome if freddy is always lurking as this boogeyman but he, you know certain kids give him a hard time and he has to move on. And that would be it. To me, that's a fun idea that I wish they explored a little bit more instead of knocking off, you know, the kids from part three no. and part four. Now, Josh, when you say that this is about self-mastery, are you suggesting that the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, the whole series, is about um, being the master of one's domain kind of, in the, in the <laughs> no. Seinfeld sense? Not necessarily, but I think it may be, <laughs> I think the sequels eventually may kind of, uh, yeah, be a, a, in practice maybe related related to that. Well, no, I mean, it is interesting because this is a bedtime monster. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we get these suggestions of these things throughout. Like, I mean, there's a, a wet dream reference in this one. And, and then, you know, all of the the sexual, like, subtext that's in the second one. So, you know, I think they continue the horror movie tropes of there being punishment for, you know, sexual promiscuity, for sure. Sure. 
Yes, I, that's exactly what Freddy's going after. Right? So this yeah. movie, basically, there was no script, and they just threw everything at it that was popular. They said, okay, part three was popular. We're like, we've got a hit on our hands. It's on the rise. Let's <clears throat> put Freddy front and center, and he is front and center more in this film than he is in any of the other films to this point. Yep. And 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 then they say, let's throw the entire kitchen sink at this movie. They're the most craziest movie references in this. There are yeah. more movie references in this than scary movie. That's what <laughs> I, I back you 100%. And that's one thing I was going to say about these two movies. Um, once again, this week, I got up at 3 a.m. for some reason. And I watched both of these at 3 a.m. today. <laughs> and something that was really prominent to me, it's like, wow, this franchise is really reflective of pop culture there are so many pop culture references because like um if people were children of the 80s ninjas and martial arts films were really popular in the 80s and so you got this freaking ninja guy like who digs ninjas and you got the nunchucks i don't even think it's that deep jay i don't even think it's as deep as what you just said i think it's literally they're like what was the big movie last year karate kid put that in there what was the other <laughs> big movie? Yeah. Like, the I mean, Fly, put that in there. Yep. Like, they're all just shoved into this movie, and it doesn't really make sense with what we've seen from this monster in the past. Yeah, it's no. it, this definitely a very uh, Fly-like. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, because, yeah, this came after 1986. The Fly was 1986, and you can really see that influence in this, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there are several. I mean, I've, I've I've written them down as we go, and hopefully you'll be able to throw those out. But real quick, um, I got a question for you, Josh. So a minute ago, you said you said Freddy's not real, and I I, I maybe I don't understand what you mean a hundred percent. But to me, like, yeah, he exists. He attacks within the dream world or the dreamscape. But to me, he is a he is a demon of sorts, and I think. I think there is, within this universe of A Nightmare on Elm Street, I mean, he's not imagined. I think he is an an evil being. He's very easy to stop for a time, though. Like, I mean, the problem is they solved it too cleanly with the first film because it's just like, why don't you just do what Nancy did? She had it figured out. Like, just ignore him, turn your back to him, you take away his power. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess he's real in the sense that you, you know, you could see him as a demon entity, but he's so limited in his realm of where he can have power over you and you can do so much to fight him. Like there's so many options you have for retaliation or protection. I don't know. He just doesn't seem very threatening. And that's a big problem I have with these movies overall. I don't mind the comedy. I don't mind the jokiness sometimes, but what I do have a problem with is just that Freddie never seems like a threat. Well, he's not scary, if that's what you mean. I mean, I I don't find him scary. His not none of the kills, really, up until this point of the entire franchise, are like scary kills. You know, maybe maybe one or two are. I yeah. guess in the first film there are, but like the kills in at the beginning of this film, it's just like claws to the stomach. Okay, like it's just not. There's not. They're not done in a suspenseful way. There's not. Even like a good music cue to like <laughs> get us excited about those things. There are cool moments, le- they're cool dream ideas leading up to a lot of the kills, but they're not visceral slasher kills. Yeah. And well, I don't know. 
Well, I consider, I mean, I, I love it that we're talking about this because I was really trying to analyze why um, I don't love him as a monster. I mean, it's it's weird. It's ironic because I do think his character is actually likable, even though he's despicable, but he's he's despicable in kind of a humorous way. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, the sick the sick-minded part of me is like, you know, this guy's kind of cool in a way. But, but at the same time, he is more of a funhouse monster. And these are like funhouse movies. They feel, and I'm not referring to the film funhouse, but I'm just referring to like, if you go to a carnival or amusement park and you go in a funhouse, that's what these movies feel like to me. They just feel like childhood funhouses. Mm. Because they're so silly and colorful, and there's there are all these they're very imaginative. I mean, all these dreamscapes, and then he's always riffing on people's fears or weaknesses, you know. And he's he's conjuring some some sort of um, arena to battle them in that yeah. pertain to their weaknesses or fears. Yeah, yeah. I don't ever feel peril though. Like there there are cool scenes like the. The waterbed scene is a cool scene. That's a really awesome moment. And Rennie Harlan, by the way, who we haven't talked about that much, his kind of whole MO as a filmmaker is he makes guilty pleasures for a living. Like (laughs) every one of his movies that I like, I don't really like admit that I like. It's just they're they're kind of, you know, it's it's those cutthroat islands of the world, the you know, the deep blue seas of the world, lost long kiss goodnight. Like he's He's just that kind of a director. Right. But he brings a lot of flair to this movie visually. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's just not any dramatic impact to well, a lot of those cool moments, which are really cool moments. And the bloody waterbed scene in this would be incredible unless you've seen Pieces, that slasher flick um, right. from Spain, which has an incredible bloody waterbed kill scene. And, um, you know, you got the model who who is incorporated in this one, which I guess you know adds adds a certain element of entertainment value, shall we say? But like you don't, you know, it's not as gruesome as that waterbed scene in pieces. Well, that's the thing. Like the the dream concept is awesome, and Rennie Harlan knows how to bring some dazzling imagery to these dreamscapes. But uh, I think because the script was never there and because, you know, he doesn't seem to do horror very well. Um, I just don't think that those they're not scary, viscerally scary moments. Well, here's something that impresses me about this film. So um, Brian Helgeland. OK, mm-hmm. so he was hi- the screenwriter. He was hired under the condition that he could deliver the script within seven days. Now, Josh. For those out there who don't know, like for listeners who, who aren't familiar with this, how long would you say it probably takes the average screenwriter, how, how you know, and I'm not talking TV, I'm talking for films, how long would they usually get? Like three months, right? Yeah, I mean, I think if you were hired for a job by a studio, they'd probably give you three months to write a draft, and that would just be the first draft. Right. Yeah, and this guy had seven days, and so I love this. I love imagining this, and so um, and he was told by uh, Robert Shea. He said that if if you come in with that script one day late, we don't want it. And so this Brian Helgeland guy, when he went home for Christmas in Massachusetts that year, um, I guess he sat at his dad's table in the kitchen, 
and wrote this script, and then he FedExed it back to L.A. and made his deadline. Wow. Yeah, and that's really what the lines in this movie feel like. Yeah. Well, honestly, this is not a great movie, okay? But taking that into consideration, because I read that trivia before revisiting this again, and um, I'm a little embarrassed to admit, when I was a kid, I actually used to love this movie because I'm a big karate guy. I took martial arts, and so I loved those aspects to this movie. But, um, you know, so when I... <laughs> those are the parts you like? Uh, well, I was a kid. I mean, I was like, what, tw- 12? You know, I was 12 yeah, years old. Still. But but the thing is... The karate kid was out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That came out in 1984. <laughs> and so, anyway, I was excited about this, and... Uh, but when I rewatched it again, knowing that he only had seven days, I'm like, you know, I mean, it is definitely a disaster, but. <laughs> but you have to respect lines like, it will take more than bench presses to beat him. <laughs> right. <laughs> and mind over matter. That's what she used to always say. Yeah. That's Whoa. what she always said. Oh, my goodness. Well, right now we have a, a, a very exciting. Uh, announcement here in the show at this point we're going to bring in our special guest for the evening he actually is doing us a favor and coming on early and so at this point we want to welcome josh go ahead i'll give you the honors actually oh it's that special guest yes it is and he is here well we're very excited to have on with us elm street's last brat the wild man wills wheeler yeah, you all will have me on the nightmare that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's what Chris Robo said to us last week. <laughs> Why are we doing now? See, Josh, the listeners are going to accuse us of of sabotaging the Freddy fans that we bring on by sticking them on movies that aren't the best. I'm doing the best I can, you guys. It's hard to coordinate these schedules. <laughs> Well, we actually, we've had two people skip out on us tonight. So we had two previous guests lined up. The the jump ship, Willis, is very kind to come up and join us on, uh, while we're still talking about part four and and into part five, which apparently he despises. (laughs) Well, since I didn't recently looked at all of them in the last few months, I can commentate on any of them. So I know you can. Yeah, that's why Willis Willis Wheeler is a pro. Real quick, Willis, I mean, we're going to come back to part four because that's what we're reviewing. But I did have a curious question for you. I was dying to ask you this last week. Um, You were on Movie Podcast Weekly on two different occasions where your mini review was the second, (laughs) The Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And it was so odd to me. I mean, it was like within a few months apart, like only like a few months and and you actually revisited that film. So why were you watching the second Nightmare on Elm Street so frequently? Because I had to do it for another podcast, and it was fresh in my mind. Oh, okay, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. That makes sense. Okay, I just thought, well, maybe Willis actually secret. Maybe it's a guilty pleasure, and he loves it after all. It's not a guilty pleasure. I actually enjoy it because of the subtext that the movie is about. I appreciate it more since I didn't get older. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thanks for that. Now, we're, we're reviewing Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. And uh, jump right in and tell us, what are your thoughts about this particular film? Well, this was the one that was in between the best one and in between the to one of the lesser ones. 
But the problem about part four is you could tell the chemistry wasn't there between um, Tuesday night and the other two that was left over from part three. Hmm. Okay. So you didn't feel that. Kristen, the- Joey, and Kincaid because Kristen was replaced um, from Patricia Arquette initially. Right. 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 But once they introduce Alice into the story, then that's when the movie picks up again. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Alice, I like that she was a strong heroine because of the way she carried herself. She, After all her friends had passed away, she just said, forget it. And she was going to take on Freddie no matter what. Because she wasn't going down with we'll Father the Fight. And she sure did take the fight for to Freddie in that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Spiked bracelets and all. And karate <laughs> kicks and everything too, but it's logical because you can do anything in the dream world. Mm-hmm. And, so, bug, and bug be gone or whatever that thing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, her little bug zapper and the um, blessing of the children that Freddie killed. Right. So one thing I want to say, we were kind of ragging on Freddy coming back time after time after time. But one thing that's cool about these movies, and also that I think there's a problem with these movies, is that they they change the rules on you pretty much every film. And I like in this one how Alice can kind of daydream and and go into the dream world just within her daydreams. That's an awesome little twist. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I thought that was the. I thought that was a cool twist. Now, the only thing that got me about this was, you know, Freddie was always after the Elm Street kids. I mean, right up into the third one. That's, that's, I mean, the second one was a little bit different. But, you know, in the first one and then the third one, he was after the Elm Street kids. And he got the last Elm Street kid. Now, what would have happened, you know, we're going into spoilers here. What would have happened if Alice wasn't even drawn into that? Would he have stopped? Yeah, I mean, that's the question. He doesn't stop after this, though. I mean, he eventually does kill the Elm Street kids and starts having other interests um, over time, whether it's the actors that acted in the movies or whatever it becomes later on. But yeah, I mean, that is the point, right? So Kristen pulls Alice into the dream world, and now Freddy's like, all right, yeah, bring me more victims. And then he wants her to start pulling her friends in one by one. Right. Which she inadvertently does. Yeah. Um, but keeps it going. But but it's almost as if Freddy, this is, he's, it's almost as if Freddy's kind of making it up as he goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you have a di- different director and different writer for every movie. Just like the Long Lines is almost like Halloween and um, especially Friday the 13th, all the different twists and turns. That series, that's one of the most inconsistent series out of all of the horror movies to me is Friday the 13th. And I would even say compared to the other franchises, this franchise seemed like it had people on the producer's end more intimately involved with the production of each of these films. Like It seemed like New Line was really heavily invested in, in the yeah. development processes of these different movies. Absolutely. And you get definitely have to give them credit for that because I, it was kind of, they didn't, nobody cared about Friday the 13th after a while. They were almost embarrassed by the studio was almost embarrassed by its success. So which, which yeah. is kind of um, a shame because this was their cash cow for so yeah. long. Right. I and, mean, and, yeah. And it was, and that's one thing you say with new line is they definitely did take a, 
you know, a, a very active interest in it. They realized that this is what was put, basically putting them on the map. Right. Well, I'm glad that Willis is here tonight, the wild man himself, because um, he would know about such things like this. I mean, Josh mentioned earlier, this is getting at the height of uh, Freddy Krueger's fame. And yeah, right here in the late 80s, I mean, there's really booming. And so at, at about this time period of the films we're reviewing tonight in 88 and 89, there was a TV show called Freddy's Nightmares, a TV series. It, was, it ran from 1988 to 1990. And it was actually supposedly the success of this film, part four, that led them to do that. Now, Willis, what do you have to say about the Freddy's Nightmares TV series? Well, the thing about Freddy's Nightmare TV series was it used to come on whenever they feel like it. So sometimes you could be coming home on a Sunday afternoon and sitting there with the family. Guess what's on the TV? Freddy's Nightmares in the middle of the day. Wow. <laughs> so the problem about Freddy's Nightmare was we knew it was a cash cow, and you could tell some of the episodes because the special effects got cheaper and cheaper as the season went. But they had some interesting guest stars. Brad Pitt was actually on an episode of Freddy's oh, Nightmares. Wow. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, so... Neat. The neat thing about the first season of Freddy's Nightmare was the first episode was actually Freddy's origin before origin that they had in Freddy's Dead, which we don't really want to talk about. Right, right. But <laughs> but but I do. I'm glad that you brought that up because that is one thing we're going to touch on a little bit tonight. And that's um. so could you tell us so spoilers for the TV show episode one <laughs> um, what what did they say of Freddy's origin in that first episode of Freddy's Nightmares? Basically it's the same as the um the movie suggests what happened was that Freddy got loose because the um, cop forgot to read his Miranda rights. And that's what the lawyer said to get him off free. So what happened was Freddy was terrorizing the neighborhood until the um, families got sick of him and burned him up. And then once they burned him up, that's when he became what he was. So it's basically the same thing that they told in the movies, but it's not John Saxton in the show. It's another cop that supposed was one of the ringleaders of causing Freddy to get killed the way he did. So he had some twins, and Freddy was terrorizing the twins. Okay, but was he was he considered? Okay, because we're going to get at, and this is not a trick question for you. I'm not trying to trip you up because I know you're the man. But was he considered a child killer only, or was he also considered a child molester in the TV show origin story? He was only a child murderer. They skipped the child molesting thing because of when the first Nightmare on Elm Street came out, they had... Um, some cases of child molestation going on the same time as the movie was coming out. Yes, in so California. They, they decided not to add that into his origin. Yeah, so the, re the reason I bring all that up, and thanks, Willis, for talking about that, because um, you, typically we save all of the listener feedback and questions and so forth for the, the end of this, but there is one I wanted to address so far because it actually comes up tonight in part 
five, and since we're on it right now, we'll just address it real quick. Um, yes, Willis is exactly right, because in the original script, he was going to be a child molester, but because of those series of child molestations in California at the time, they thought it would be in poor taste. So he was just a child killer. However, by the time we get to the dream child, which we'll be reviewing next, if you look through that file of um, papers that they collect, one of the headlines refers to him as a child molester. And I think um, what what has happened to answer that person, and I'm sorry I don't have the name. I'm like the worst at this, Josh. But, but, <laughs> but the person who asked about it, I think there's a little bit of retconning there to restore the original premise and the original idea. Because we know that as we go later in the series, especially with the remake, then they bring that home more. But I think that by part five, they were trying to like retcon it a little bit. And and so that's why I think a lot of people refer to him as a child molester, even though technically in the beginning of these films, he's just a child killer. And so really well, both people are right. I mean, I was just watching Never Sleep Again and I noticed it was interesting. Wes Craven even referred to him as a child molester several times during the documentary. So yeah, I think it was just, in the DNA of the film. Right. right. And, and even he, if it, yeah. And even if they only called him a child killer, I think the assumption was there as well. But, right. but anyways, um, but did you mention this? And I just missed it. That Toby Hooper's directed that pilot for Freddy's nightmare. No, I didn't get a chance to say that, but I was going to bring it up. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> that is yeah. pretty cool. And Freddie did show up in a couple of more episodes as the main character, but most of the time he wa- he was just the host of the show. The um assumption was that even though Freddie wasn't in the episodes, he was the ringmaster of everything that was going on to all the people in the different episodes. So give us a sense of it then. Was it just like um you know, was it kind of like well, what's something? Um, what's an example? I'm trying to think of. He was ba- It was basically the Twilight Zone in Springwood. That's basically what it was. Okay. Freddie was doing the bumpers for explaining what was going on in some of the different episodes. In some of the episodes, he actually was in there causing havoc. And maybe like maybe like five or six episodes, he actually showed up and was the cause of stuff, but most of the time it was implied that he had his hand in a lot of the episodes, but he wasn't act- the actual character in the episode. I see. Okay. And not to talk about the documentary all night, but um, they made an interesting comparison. They said, you know, it's funny. You have this period of time, a Friday the 13th television show and a Nightmare on Elm Street television show, and neither of them have much to do with the movies. Uh, or Freddy and Jason. And apparently after Freddy's Nightmares got uh, canceled, the exact same creative team went on to make Tales from the Crypt television show. And even in the documentary, they do a dissolve between Freddy in this show and the Crypt Keeper. And it's basically like the same sets, the same setup, the same idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is funny because it's like, Okay, if you had this property and you had these characters that were a hit, it's it's so weird that they wouldn't just carry it forward. And, you know, it seems like a no-brainer kind of recipe, but whatever. So, so Willis, do you own this TV series? Is it available on 
DVD or Blu-ray? It's not at all. They had a couple of episodes available over in Europe, but they haven't made an official release of the whole series on DVD. You can get bootlegs at the conventions. I do own a couple of the video cassettes of the ones where Freddy was in there, but other than that, that's about it. And I know that if you get the Blu-ray set of the Nightmare on Elm Street, they have a couple of episodes on it as special features, but that's about it. So, if that... Um, if I could just say one thing about this really quick. Yeah, say it. Um, this was happening over on horrormoviepodcast.com. That's why you got to frequent those boards, folks. Sal mentioned on the board that uh, El Rey Network, which is Robert Rodriguez's company, just announced that they're going to start screening Freddy's Nightmares uh, on the El Rey Network. So mm, Nice, Sal. Should be cool because it's yes. hard to find. He says it's hard to find good quality versions of these episodes. The copies that I have look like they're copied from the original VHS tapes when they originally aired. <laughs> and, you know, another problem is it's also hard to find L. Ray Network because a lot of cable <laughs> companies don't run it. <laughs> yeah. True. Wow. So don't just buy the Very Dawn true. of the Dead show on DVD. Try to get it get it so you can... Not Dawn of the Dead. From Dust Till Dawn show on DVD. Try to get it <laughs> so you can watch it on your television. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so here's something I want to ask you guys. How come, I mean, so often people refer to the house with the red door as Freddy's house, but it is not Freddy's house, it's Nancy's house and Jesse's house in the second film, but they always refer to it as Freddy's house, and that kind of bugs me, and it's like, why is it, why is that house like a haunted house type set? It, it feels like they just lean on that kind of too much. Well, they retconned that to be Freddy's house, too, now. Like, right. now we're to believe that he used to live there at some point. Yeah, they show that in Freddy's Dead. Yeah, but right. they even mention it even in part four. Actually, even part two, to some degree. Well, yeah, they. that's what I'm saying, is to this point, though, we haven't gotten to the F- Freddy's Dead stuff, right? But I'm just saying that um, in these movies... They never really set that up, and they just start referring it to it as Freddy's house. And I, I was under the impression that it wasn't necessarily a retcon as much as it just became kind of the vernacular. People would just refer to it as his house, which was not accurate. Anyway, oh. I don't know. Maybe that's just. I thought I thought it was a retcon. It was kind of they probably liked the Michael Myers house idea, right? And just copied right. that right over. Probably. Again, this film just takes from everything and just shoves it in. Yeah, it even has a Garfield poster in it. It's even got a Jaws scene in a Freddy movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's true. It does. Now, Willis. So let's get this out of here right now. You are. Uh, a Fredhead, as they say, right? You're a, you're a true Freddy, Freddy Krueger fan, right? Yep. Okay, so is he, where does he rank? Like, if you had to rate, like, with Jason and, and Michael Myers and Pinhead, where's Freddy fall in that? Rank him he, for us. He's number one because Jason and Michael are basically almost a clone of each other because they basically had the same type of movement. Neither one of them talked. You might hear him grunt and groan once in a while, but other than that, it's just that Freddie has a personality to him. That's why a lot of people claim to him and Pinhead a little bit more because they're more talkative. Pinhead is more of 
a regal killer, as people say. He has a majestic to, side to him. And uh-huh. Freddy is basically, if you look at Freddy Krueger and put him beside the Joker, they are basically the same character uh-huh. when you think about it. The way they're both portrayed, because sometimes you can get a Joker that's nothing but jokes and ha ha he he and sometimes you can get a joker that's just menacing as you see in say like the difference between Jack Nicholson's joker and the difference between Heath Ledger's joker and Freddy is basically the same you could have a a Freddy Krueger that could just be cracking jokes and singing with the fat boys or you can get, <laughs> or you can get a, a very vicious Freddy as you got in part one and part two. Okay, I got you. So, so you, I, I mean, generally speaking, then I mean, you're you, you like most of the films. There are some films you have problems with, though, right? Yeah, because after a while, with all franchises, they can get stale and running out of ideas, and you can see between part four and part five, that they really were stressing it because they didn't even give part four enough time to settle before they even made part five. <laughs> they had made the poster before the script was even made. They was <laughs> even <laughs> writing the script while they was filming the movie. So that tells you something right there. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't even have the ending even finished before they even finished filming <laughs> Nightmare 5. That's wow. right. These both came out in August, so it's like August of 88 and August of 89, and that is a tight schedule. Um, that is a tight schedule. It is, and as far as like including things in there, we've been talking about all the little references and that they incorporate. For those who are younger than us, back in the 80s, there was a big, um, like, like it was a telephone, I don't know if it was AT&T slogan, but they had this popular slogan, reach out and touch someone. Yeah. And, and everybody knew that slogan and that expression. So when Freddie says that in there, why don't you reach out and touch someone? I think that for younger viewers who weren't aware of that, that might they might not pick up on that. But even, that was a totally, a, you know, a pop culture the, reference. Yeah, even, even the Roach Motel reference mm-hmm. in there, too. You go in, but you can't come out. That was the slogan for the Roach Motels back then. Roaches yeah. go in, but they can't come out. Right, right. You know, and they use that in this in the movie, too. Yeah, lots of that. And so that stuff, Willis, that stuff doesn't bother you all. The the comedy and the references and the pop culture stuff, you... No, because at the time, that's what a lot of movies were doing. So that was just how that time frame was going back then. So oh. it doesn't bother me any because I understand the motives of how Freddy is. Because he's basically, like I said, the Joker or... Maybe more so Loki, because he's like the Lord of Mischief. So mm-hmm. Freddy is basically the Lord of Mischief in the horror movie realm, because he can crack a joke one time and you could turn around, and he could be gutting you the next. Huh. Yeah, and like Loki and the Joker, he does feel more like a comic book character than a horror character to me. Yeah. I agree with that too. And he even goes superhero in the next one. But. Oh my goodness. <laughs> now, um, and the waitress in here is Alice and she works in a diner. So I wondered if that was a reference to Melt's diner. What do you think, Dave? 
Yeah, you're not. Oh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the only reason her name is as Alice at all is so Freddie can say, "Welcome to Wonderland, Alice." Right. <laughs> that was a pretty good impersonation, I have to say. Oh, thank you. So um, when we do the, the rap, works at though. Right? Yes. The Crave Inn? Yes. Yeah. Nice, everybody. And I like how there's um, a a movie within a movie here, the black and white movie. I think I love any time that happens in a film. It's like a Rose of Cairo moment right there. Yeah. Yes, Yes, exactly. But And that was a pretty cool scene, if you think about it. I, I did like that scene. It was awesome, but that is yeah. totally straight out of Purple Rose of Cairo again. Oh, absolutely. Cut absolutely. and, and that's paste. What, Cut yeah, that's, that's paste. That's what you got it from. Yeah, I mean, you got that feeling, but I did like the way they executed that. Scene. And I love like her looking back into the audience and all of her dead friends are sitting in the movie theater. That's pretty rad, too. Mm-hmm. That was kind yep. of a cool moment. Yeah. So two things I caught that maybe were influenced by this movie. Well, I don't know about this first one. Is that movie theater the movie theater from The Master, from Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, the one he's sitting in when he gets that phone call? Mm. It looks a lot like it. I didn't have the blue. My stuff is still packed from Columbia. I didn't have my Blu-ray to pull out, but I was like, man, that looks exactly like that theater. Somebody check that for us. And then also, I don't know if you guys have seen the comedy Hot Rod. Oh, yeah. Mm. But that is clearly influenced by the karate scenes in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like straight out of this movie. Yeah. That guy's clothes the guy with the hair gel, like mm. his right. hair, every bit of his hair has gel in it. Um, his clothes are just straight up Ferris Bueller's wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is this in a way, this is really an eighties extravaganza. I mean, yeah. it's more nostalgic of the eighties than a lot of eighties films, I would say. And it's even set in 1988, which I think is kind of cool as well. So it's overdone for me. Like it doesn't, it feels inauthentic to me because it's so rife with it. Well, yeah. And I, I would agree that it's too much. And I think it's along those lines. It reminds me of those movies that are supposed to be spoof movies. Yes. But they're merely spoof movies because I mean, all they do is mention a reference. It's not even a riff on a reference or something funny or clever about a reference. Uh It's just the fact that it's included in and, and that's what they do here. Yeah. Just like Scream. No, that's the difference oh. between Scream and Scary Movie, and this is in the Scary Movie. Game. Willis is trying to provoke us right now. That I was know. a trap right there. He was trying to. <laughs> but that's the, that. That is a huge difference. I mean, look at Scream is talking about horror movies, and it's utilizing the the scares in those previous films to add f- fear to the film we're in. Whereas this movie, they're making jokes about AT&T and Folgers commercials and stuff that don't really have anything to do with anything other than just to reference pop culture. Yeah. Right. Even though Freddie is more graceful, he doesn't trip up on his outfit like Ghostface, but I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Freddie's like, he's Fred Astaire from, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Fred Astaire of serial killers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh let's wrap this one up then, I guess. <laughs> like and go into our final thoughts and ratings. Of course, we'll let Willis have the last word since he's the biggest fan among us. But uh Dr. Shock, what do you say for your final thoughts and ratings for a nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master? Well, you know, I, I I liked the way it started when they when they had the other Elm Street kids in there because I was such a fan of of you know 
the third movie. Uh, so I like that they sort of brought those characters back, even though it was a different Kristen. Um, and I, I, I don't, I agree. I don't think she was quite the same, you know, quite up to snuff, but it's not like she was around that long anyway. Um, and I did like some of the scenes, you know, I thought uh, maybe it's me, but I thought it was kind of funny that they just had him come back, the dog taking a piss on the ground. Uh, and, and that brings Freddie back because it's almost like thumbing their nose at all of the other movies and how they would bring like Jason back and all these other things. It's just like the hell with it. Let's just have a dog piss on the ground and have Freddie come back. <laughs> you know, so, so I thought that was I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of funny. I just thought that was kind of funny they did that. And I didn't even I didn't even kind of like that scene set in that in that um uh I don't think it was a great payoff at the end, but I did like the the that scene there. I liked um as I said, I liked that uh the scene in the in the movie theater. Um and what happens to Freddie at the end when he's finally, you know, I, I don't like I don't like how he's defeated. I thought it was a little simplistic, but I did like what happened to him afterwards, you know, what yeah. they tried to do with, with the effects and everything. I'm, I'm, I thought I thought that was pretty cool. I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm sorry for jumping in here. I, I forgot to mention that. Um, I read in the trivia for that that they were trying to come up with something that was because all the other monsters are defeated by something external. And so they thought it would be an interesting concept to have him defeated from something internal this time. Well, I, I guess it was, I don't, yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. I mean, what happens to him? I am, you're talking about like what happens to him, like when he's against the wall and everything, right? Yeah. And when, yeah. Yes. Cause it, yeah, it, and it's I thought, an internal I, like, force. I thought that was, I thought it was interesting. I did. I thought that was, that was an interesting way to, to sort of end it, to wrap it up. But, I mean, that said, there's a, just a lot of different things in this movie. There's so much going on. Um, you, you got, you know, I, I didn't know that Kristen was was a sorceress who could throw her powers. You know, I mean, in the, in the Dream Warriors, she wasn't even really sure how they worked. Um, but then she's able to pass them on to somebody else. Um, I did like the uh, the, the daydream part of it. I did like that they threw that in that she was daydreaming and, and awake and seeing these things. I thought that was interesting. Um, I, I have one question that I just barely occurred to me for the first time. Um, you know, Freddie is this soul collector, apparently. That seems to be one of his major functions. Mm -hmm. And as Alice grows stronger, she starts taking on these characteristics of her friends. Like she gets their powers. And I started wondering just now, is she also a soul collector? Like yeah. being a dream master, is she becoming, it's interesting because you, yeah. because her, it seems as if the souls of her friends are with Freddie. Yes. But she's gotten like portions of their personality. Again, I don't know how much uh, we might be putting more thought into it. Turns of phrase. She no, starts ring. speaking like them, acting like them. Yeah, what? she does. And, 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 you know, with, with like, like really dramatic things like mind over matter. Well, yeah. we, you know. we learn in the plot though. We learn in one of like, I think it's one of the lectures, um, like the school lecture that there are two gates right that you can enter into the dream world one is positive one is negative and so as the as she becomes the dream master you know she she is facing off against him and that's why he says at the end i've been guarding my gate for a long time b mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. you know so right yeah I, but um i mean uh... 
to me, it, it went, and I, I wasn't really into the fact, I mean, this, this jock who sort of joins their group. Yeah, Dan, yeah, Dan. He, he wasn't like, he, he just sort of showed up and. He seemed nice enough. He seemed nice <laughs> enough. Yeah, he was a nice enough guy, I guess, but. He I don't know. Like he, he just he just started hanging around with these kids. When this stuff started to go down, I'd have gotten out of there. You know, I didn't have anything. I wasn't invested with these guys. I wasn't invested with this group. I wasn't friends yeah. with them. I didn't grow up with them. I didn't have to, you know, I I, I didn't have that same connection with them. Um, yeah, was, but he wants to put a baby in her tummy. I guess. I guess he's thinking mm. forward to the sequel. I guess mm -hmm. he wanted to roll in the sequel. Mm -hmm. Um. <laughs> Overall, you know, it's hard for me to, to get be too hard on this one. Because you're Dr. Schlock, right? Right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um I, I don't want uh eh, I don't know. I would I would I'm probably th I'm thinking middle of the road. I really am. I'm thinking like a five. Oh um, okay. I don't think I I didn't there were things about it that I, I thought were kind of fun and were interesting, but then it just started going off in all of these wild directions. And it just it started to lose me at that point. I do think it I do think it got a little better with Alice. I didn't dislike that character. You know, I didn't I, I, I really didn't. I didn't dislike where they took that character. So I'll agree, I definitely agree with Willis on that one that I thought it, it, that she was a stronger character maybe than the Kristen that that was in this movie. Um, yeah, I'm just going to stay middle of the road. I'm going to say a five. And. <laughs> Yeah, I guess a low priority rental. A low priority rental. Yeah, I love hearing you so conflicted. It's really funny. Like, <laughs> See, because I don't, I don't do the numbers thing. <laughs> right. I don't do it on my blog. I don't normally do it. And everybody out there, that's that's part of the reason why is because trying to come up with a number and, and attaching it to it, and that's why sometimes my numbers will change. Like if you listen to me on one podcast and we do the same movie on another podcast, it's going to change, just because I don't. That's, I, I'm not used to doing. I'm not. It's not something I normally do. Like try to say, okay, let me put a number here. Actually, you're amazingly consistent, and I check your numbers all the time, and it's like right on the money. It's bizarre oh, how I, I consistent I you are. I, I assume no. I was not. You, from one podcast to the next. I respect how consistent you are on that. So that's pretty cool to me. But so, all right, cool. So, well, Doctor Shock. Gonna, I have to. I have to go middle of the road with it, just because I, I, I admit that there were. That I was entertained at times as I was watching the movie, but um, it was a letdown from from Dream Warriors. I got gotcha. you. So five low priority rental. Okay, Wolfman Josh, what do you say? Um, I think the script makes it almost unwatchable. It is seriously <laughs> some of the worst writing I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh. But I think Rennie Harlan really makes up for a lot of that with his visuals. I think I'm I'm really impressed by him at this stage in his career. This is his first real kind of actual movie he had a budget of any sort on. He brings it hard. And I, you know, and even though I think the movie is kind of a mess because they had no plan going in, they just said, let's throw some jaws in there, let's throw some fly in there, let's throw some <laughs> Top Gun and Karate Kid and everything else in there. And oh, yeah, Top Gun. Lots of Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of that. Yeah. But so that is a problem for me, but I do think, you know, this is getting closer to the Freddy that I was dreading when we started talking about reviewing the Friday, the, or sorry, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. But he's still not all the way there yet. He's going to get there very soon, I will say. <laughs> 
but <laughs> but I would say this one's still watchable. And I think of the first the first four films to me are still like anyone who's generally a horror fan, you should be able to pop these in and watch them. Um, I'm gonna give this one a five as well, and I'll say rent it. <laughs> okay, five and rental. Okay, for me, um, I liked this when I was twelve because I like karate, but now. Aside from the, the karate is bad, though it is. It is bad, <laughs> especially when the guy who's the karate expert, so so called or supposed to be, his fight with Freddy is so weak. I hate it so bad. But then when she fights him later, it's better. That nunchuck scene that she does is hilarious to me. That's so <laughs> funny, especially if you've ever seen Enter the Dragon and seen Bruce Lee's nunchuck scene. <laughs> But anyways, I just, I love it. But so I do love the 80s nostalgia of this. I think the references are a little over the top, but it this is a cinematic oddity to me. And it's crazy to me that this is the highest grossing slasher film of the 80s. But I still think this is pretty bad, honestly. So to me, this is a three out of 10. I say avoid this what do you say wild man willis wheeler you done fell and bumped your head this is a 7.5 it's it's nothing wrong with this movie jay you like insidious so that's just points taken from you anyway because a lot of people hate their movies you don't only one that like the insidious movie so man. it this is the the best out of does after Dream Warriors because after this one, then it goes downhill. That's why in another movie they end up killing them off because they knew they messed up and they knew it was time to give Freddy a rest. You know, this movie has one of the coolest things of any of the movies up until this point in terms of dream um, logic that I love with where she's kind of in that loop. And he, he's Dan, is it Dan starts kind of yeah. figuring it out yeah. Dan, yep. yeah. and he's like, Hey, what's going on? And then he, the next time she comes around, he says what she's going to say. And that's so awesome. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was really well done. And it's, it was, that was interesting. And the, the crash scene itself, I thought was really cool too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, just, just in the well, middle of nowhere, proof. just hitting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Willis, you said 7.5 now, is that a buy to you or a rent or what? Well, the sets are so cheap now. You're going to get all of them in the set. I don't think anybody is going to really buy these individually anymore. As you can get part one, two, three, and four in the set for about $9. You can get four. You can get five, six. Freddy versus Jason. And um, New Nightmare Nightmare in the set for $9. Or you can get the Blu-ray set for about it goes for about thirty dollars now, so yeah. you're gonna end up buying them anyway because most horror fans are completists and they just get the whole set and call it a day. I mean, even on the individual Blu-rays, they put two of them together. So yeah, yeah I mean you're right. It's not like uh, if you if you get one, sometimes you're going to get another one. <laughs> well, I, I would not buy four if it meant getting five with it. Just spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> Well, Willis, way to um, way to mount a full-throated defense of your a film that you admire at a seven point five level by saying, "Well, you're gonna get it anyway." So, 
Good job, Willis. So you're saying buy buy this because you're going to buy the other movies, basically. Yep, because most horror fans are completists. Even oh. though they don't like the movie, they have it in their set anyway because most people go by, they'll have the DVD, but if they have a whole nother set that has a whole nother different features on it, they'll get that set too because that's just the way it is. Okay, one last oh. question on this. So you're telling me that you think this movie here is better than Insidious, the, the first Insidious? Yes, because <laughs> it keeps you entertained and it doesn't put you to sleep. Okay. And at least Insid- at least Freddy Krueger doesn't have Darth Maul in the movie, so... <laughs> and tiptoe through the tulips. Nope. How you gonna be scared of that song? Come on now. <laughs> Yeah, the fat boys are way scarier. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, that song doesn't show up in the movie at all, so it, you can't say anything about it. About just that. I just well, want to throw it. I want to throw it out there. Do you think Freddie watches television when he was throwing out like the AT and T and the? I don't know where else he would have gotten them. Yeah, I think he was watching television because. He's a perv, so he had to have something to do. <laughs> well, and he was a regular guy <laughs> once. You know, he was a... He was a regular guy once, but, you know, before these references he's throwing out. I don't well, know. I guess People because... might dream about those commercials if they like them enough. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so he can see them that way. Just keep an eye on the dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. That was our review of A Nightmare on Elm Street 4. <laughs> um... And it was a good time, the Dream Master. So let us know in the comments here for episode 72 what you think of that. And without any further delay, let's move into our feature review of A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Child from 1989. His mother was a God-fearing woman. His birth was an unspeakable horror. Please don't let him do that! His life and death have been one incredible nightmare. <laughs> but now all that is going to change because Freddy wants to become a daddy. Wanna make babies? What's wrong with me? You just a little pregnant? Even if he has to adopt. Why do you always say, why do you skip the five? Is it because Here's it wasn't why. in the opening credits? That, you're damn right. That's but right. <laughs> they, they had it in all the movie posters leading up to the release. It was in the trailers, the promotional materials. You told me that marketing is different from the film itself, Josh Legarry. And now it's on all the DVDs and everything if you buy the movie now. I don't care. To me, the official title of a film is what you see on the screen as the film opens. That's the official title. I don't care about what IMDb says or anybody else. Uh, if it if it says it on the screen, how are you going to go against that? I don't know. I'm just wondering <laughs> if they forgot to put it on there. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's possible in this movie. So, yeah. so in other words, for you, Manos Hands of Fate doesn't have a title because it didn't have a title screen. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there is no title for that film. Nor does it need one. Nor does anybody need to watch it. So, <laughs> so Willis Wheeler, would you do us the honors here and um, tell us the premise for The Dream Child? Well, basically, it's the continuing adventures of Alice as she goes through her adult phase in life. She 
gets out of high school and she's madly in love with her boyfriend, Dan. But one night, they Dan slips up and do something he ain't got no business doing and boop, she is pregnant. So, <laughs> Freddie takes advantage of this situation by trying to go through the dreams of her unborn child. And while he's doing that, he's killing off her friends from high school and she tries to find a way to save her child and defeats tries to defeat Freddie for one last time for her. I'm surprised that you could do that because this movie is such a convoluted mess. Uh, why, why does he need to go through the child? Why can't he just get her in her daydreams like he did originally? Because she already is too powerful for for her. So. so he has to use the weak mind of her child? Yep. Why only her? Why is she the one? that? Because he defeated her? It's because she, cause she locked his gate? That and he just wants revenge because Freddy dirty like that. Why does he have to bring his mom back to get reborn? <laughs> and what the hell does that have to do with her and everything else? Why doesn't, well, he just, why doesn't he just possess her baby like every other good movie would, like Rosemary's Baby style? Just well, get in there on Alice's baby. You know why all this happened? No. <laughs> you, because they was writing a movie as they went. <laughs> and it shows. Oh, yeah. That is something I was going to mention on the last one. I forgot the writer's strike happened. That's why they didn't have the script. You know, he had, that's why he only had the seven days to write it. And oh, okay. That they makes couldn't sense. Do anything else. There was a, the, the WGA had a writer's strike and I don't know if that carried over into this movie too, but huh. it, anyway. may have. it was made, it was made. So they were made so close together. Yeah. This is a bad movie, but in defense, I got a few things to say in its defense. Um, Josh, such a bully. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> um, like, first of all, I do appreciate the the way that they attempted to go darker in this film. I mean, there are some dark moments, some dark kind of themes to it. And I think they were at least trying. They seem like they were trying to migrate more more back to like the uh, the horror side of the fence rather than this funhouse comedy show, the Benny Hill show or something or whatever it was. So I, you know, I, I got to admire that. And actually a lot of this film was cut up, I guess is what I read because they had chopped tons of stuff out of it because they were worried it was going to get an X rating at the time because of the violence and so forth. So, I mean, I at least admire that and I can yeah. see some of that. Like when you read about the things that were cut out, you're like, Oh, well, that sounds pretty brutal. And, yeah, the MPAA had a heyday with this movie, apparently. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, I mean, there's that aspect of it. Um, and, and the fact that, I mean, this is also, once again, I mean, these aren't my own original thoughts, but um, I know that they were trying to think, okay, the, the 1984 teenagers, that audience, this is like five years later, right? And so they're going to be like in their late teens, early 20s, and maybe starting to have families, maybe. And so maybe they would be in a different time in their life as starting to think about children and childbirth and so forth. So the fact that they go to the baby side of things, at first I'm like, okay, the Freddy baby is super dumb. But at the same time, <laughs> the fact 
that he could get in on the baby's dreams and the baby dreams all the time. I thought that was kind of cool. And supposedly scientifically accurate. The babies, I guess, are dreaming all the time. So at least it's grounded in some realism there, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's something. So what do you prefer? Hell baby or Freddy baby? (laughs) I think Uh, I like hell baby better. I I do too, actually. I'll be honest. (laughs) But Rosemary's baby. Definitely that. I never got to see Rosemary's baby. Yeah. Although you really wanted to. Racerhead <laughs> baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a freaky baby. So, I, I mean, you can see the way this, this thing was chopped up right in that graduation scene in the beginning of the movie. I mean, it is such a bizarre scene. I mean, the continuity in it alone, like if you watch that, it's crazy. It, it's just absolutely terrible and i feel bad for them like when when that happens to a film you know i I just feel a little bit of like mercy it's like you got to cut them some slack because because i mean josh imagine you know putting out a film and then the mpaa makes you chop it up or something or the the studio yeah if i had just toiled on my beautiful work of art that was (laughs) the dream child i would be so heartbroken if they (sighs) Some censor came along and had a little propriety for crying out loud. I thought it was kind of cool that Alice's kid grew up to be in Jurassic Park. Yes, that's true. It is cool. Amazing. Um, so, Willis, do you like this movie? I can watch it. It's not my favorite one out of the set. I can see the flaws in the movie big time because I know a lot about the movie. It's things in it I wish they could have kept in because I wanted to see what it looked like, but it's lost the time and there's no way you can bring it back. So what can you do? It has its moments. I like, I think the ending is kind of cool. I like the way they set up the ending. Like the Freddy's death part of the ending, you mean? No, the whole thing with them running up and down through the MC Escher labyrinth kind of stuff. Yeah, that was cool looking. The ending is dumb as all get out, but I like certain <laughs> I like certain things Freddie do in the movie. He gets a little bit of of mean street. He's especially mean to his mom. I think that's something provocative to see. Yeah. And also, honestly, like, I hate when he uses the B word in these movies, but that was the one time I actually really liked it when he says it to his mom. I thought it was, it felt more poignant than usual. Usually, just right. like he's being kind of a. That's interesting. I felt jerk. the same way. <laughs> Why do you hate when he uses that? Just curious. I just don't like, I don't know. It just seems really a lame way to talk to women. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, are you, are you the gentleman in you, or are you saying the lowest common denominator? Well, like, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. I think it is just it shows a lack of uh, I don't know thought into actually coming up with some interesting dialogue. Like, it's just a really kind of, <laughs> yes. Josh. Josh would like his monsters to be more cordial and more well mannered. No, I just <laughs> want them to say something that's scary and not just so. I don't know. I, I hadn't thought this out, but I, I, if you want to give me a few minutes, I'll think of it. Uh, okay. Jay, I, Jay, your whole your whole thing of them saying that, okay, now that the kids who were from the original Nightmare on Elm Street, they're now older and mm. they're having kids, yeah. that you put more thought into it than they did putting the movie together. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like the stuff with Whit Hertford, um, who was the Jurassic Park kid. Mm-hmm. He, I was yeah. telling Jay before we started recording, he is now a theater director in in London, but he was also the star of a short film that was at Cannes this year that he produced. He's doing really cool stuff. And I guess when Jurassic World came out, there are these rumors that the Owen character was based on him and he came out in the media and was like, hey, if anyone's playing me growing up, it's going to be me. I'm still an actor, so give me a call. So <laughs> he wants to be in the Jurassic World franchise, I guess. Again. Nice. I hope he but, does. I, but I really like him. I really like him in this movie, actually. It's a mm-hmm. cool part of the film. I like him, too, and you can tell the kid has some chops. I mean, he's just yeah. a kid, and I think he brings it during his scenes. And, mm-hmm. Jay, you might appreciate this, but in real life, his father had just passed away when he they shot this movie. And so he was using a lot of like real stuff when he was doing this performance. And he was, he said this in the documentary that it was nice for him to be able to like leave and go work and be able to like have something else to put his energy into. Wow. Yeah. In his life. But yeah. 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 That's, and it would have been, um, it probably would have been kind of weird to work on a horror movie when yeah. you're in that state of mind. Cause I remember after that happened to me, I watched um, Pink Floyd's The Wall. And, and and Tommy and I thought I was losing my mind. <laughs> yeah, that because that, really... that, both of them are very heavy uh, father. Yeah, father, yeah. loss of father. Yeah. Plus wow. they're crazy. I mean, it's just and absolutely nuts. Yeah. I mean, I I love Pink Floyd the Wall. I absolutely, it's my favorite album, <laughs> my favorite rock album, and I really did like the movie. Um, and I'm a big Who fan also, and Tom with with Tommy as well. But uh, yeah, those I can see those might have I can see why those two might have kind of blown your mind after yeah, something a little, like that. A know? little bit, yeah, that's for sure. Now, so this Freddy baby stuff, um, again here again we're we're seeing the the influence of pop culture around and everything. I mean, this is this came out after Child's Play, so that made me wonder. You know, you're like, okay, how much how much is Chucky influencing this? Definitely has that Chucky POV, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that makes me wonder a little bit. And this yeah. is the, the one that has all the Top Gun references. But well, what did you say, Willis? Need for speed. <laughs> I don't think it really... It just has that Freddy baby at the beginning and the end. I don't think it's really... That character is not really relevant to the movie itself. It's just the sight gag more than anything else. At least in my eyes. Well, it's how he resurrects himself, and it's really bizarre t- sort of resurrection, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> and another thing that, that sort of bothered me, and this was, you know, with, with the whole, um, you know, breaking down the wall, looking for the for the mother in this place. And in in, in Dream Warriors, does she not, like, disappear? You see her walking in the cemetery, disappear, and then you go, and doesn't she have a headstone there? She does, but they mention in this film that they just, it was an empty grave. But it is weird that her spirit... Well, then why would her spirit hang around her empty grave? To lead them to the stone so they could see who she was and identify her. Both from an exposition standpoint and a character within the universe standpoint. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought about that too. I think you're exactly right. But they did a tiny bit of like fixing on that for this script. To make it work. Yeah, they figured how we got to explain that somehow. Yeah, yeah, and it was it's messy. I agree, but yeah, um, it, it now one thing that was interesting is they did spend an awful lot of time in the dream world in this movie. Yeah, much to my chagrin. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's it was like 
this is probably, I don't know if it'd be the most percentage wise. If you look at like the running time, as far as spending it in the, in the dream world, it could be, um, I bet you're right. Like the most up to this point anyway, which I thought was, uh, an interesting choice, but yeah, you know, again, it was, yeah, it was kind of, kind of all over the place. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that this movie does that I, I'm on the fence about is scene for the Freddy origin. And I it's like, it's one of those things when you're a fanatic about something, you just want to see everything. Like, oh, I want to see that. Yes. I want to see that played out. But then when you do see it, you're not sure if that's that's not how I pictured it. And I thought it was kind of cooler in my head. And I pictured it, it a little darker. And that's, you know, it's kind of like yeah. the Star Wars prequels. You're just like, well, maybe I didn't need to see this after all. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> don't bring them up. We're talking about happy things like the dream child right now. Like, like. It's a it's a decent scene. I mean, I, I, it was enjoyable, but I, I don't know if I needed it. I, I don't know. Just overall, I would have been happy if the franchise had stopped at four. Yeah, well... <laughs> Okay, no comment on that. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, Stephen Hopkins, I guess he was given just four weeks to shoot this film and then another four weeks to edit it. And so uh, I guess supposedly he was shooting on one stage while the crew was dressing another stage. And building other stages. Yeah, and building. And so um, after this, Stephen Hopkins did this, which is a remarkable feat. And Josh would know because he's an actual director. Uh, I mean, this, Stephen Hopkins even says he wouldn't do that now. He's like, I don't know how I did that. And if someone showed me their <laughs> schedule, I'd have laughed at them. Like, that's impossible. Yeah. So, like, the studio was so impressed that he did that. They gave him Predator 2 to direct. And so huh. that's kind of interesting to me. I, I love stories like that, like the tight deadlines, the behind the scenes. I think that's kind of exciting. It's pretty huh. crazy. Um, you know, like you mentioned the Top Gun stuff in this one, this again, kind of the throwing the kitchen sink at it. Um, if you look at the original poster for it says a Nightmare on Elm Street five on it, um, uh-huh. it's got the it's got the baby carriage, but it's like floating in a little ball. And this is this a year after uh, Phantasm two came out. So it also just kind of looks like the Phantasm poster a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> oh, studios. I love them. Yeah. So. Okay, there was a line that was um, chopped out of this film. Alice is waking up from a nightmare in an asylum, and then, like, you know, Freddie, Robert England, appears beside her bed, and then he had originally said, there's no such thing as safe sex. Well, if you remember, back in the 80s, the whole safe sex push was a really big campaign, especially with with AIDS and HIV Mm -hmm. virus and, and so forth. And they ended up chopping that out of the film. Now, why do you? What are your theories? Why do you think they decided to get rid of that, or were well, pushed to get rid of it? Well, because they were safe sex was like you said, it was a very big, it was a very big thing back then. They were they were really pushing the hell out of it because of you know for 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 justifiable reasons with with AIDS and and so forth, and uh, not even not even uh, like sexually transmitted diseases, I guess it would be, but it was mostly for AIDS. They were really pushing the whole safe sex thing. So having anything go against that, even even with a line of dialogue, which is a little silly if you think about it now, but um, I could definitely see them saying, yo, why don't you, we might want you to, to rethink that one. I don't know how it would have actually 
like anybody watching this who would have like had safe sex or yeah, Freddie's right. Uh, safe sex. Uh, there is no safe sex. You know, I don't know. I, I think it was a little silly to, to think that that line would have changed anybody's views. Yeah. Freddie's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, he makes a good point. You know? So I, I, I think it was, uh, I know there's just a movie, but I actually agree. Right. With right. Uh, it, 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 it's a little, it's a just little doesn't feel natural. You guys are killing me right now. But but yes, yeah, so I, I I think that 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 was what it was. I, I that was definitely what it, the reasoning behind that was their that was their logic or for want of a better term that was their logic in in dropping that line. Josh, you may have tears. That was so fun. Okay, um. So they just captured my imagination about these guys talking about this while they're walking out of the movie theater. That was brilliant, you guys. So the Springwood High graduation, we got to talk about this more because this is seriously painful. Um, one of the worst. <laughs> hey, Jay, it's only two minutes of the movie. I, I know. I know. Well, let's just talk. Two minutes. Let's just talk about a couple things here. One of the worst lines. In, in the whole franchise, to me, is when, like, Mr. Cool Guy, he just graduates, right? And the best thing they came up with him to say, and this, you know, this is kind of an older expression, but he said, so let's blow this pop stand. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, that is grown worthy. And then in this, and Willis is right, it's at the beginning of the film, and it's not a large percentage of the film, but... The way they establish the characters as archetypes in the beginning is so like ham-fisted. It's so evident. They're trying to, to to get us to know exactly who these characters are in their roles like right away. I mean, this is like the most blatant, obvious screenwriting I've ever seen, I think. Yeah, like, like you told the one girl's mother. She was a little ridiculous with the whole, you know, the one who was yes. putting her daughter to be a model. And I actually thought four was worse in this regard. Like every character just has the one thing they do. Like you're the one that lifts weights and everything you say is like related back to exercise. <laughs> it's so annoying. Right. Just but, yeah. like Randy from Scream. So <laughs> oh, man. Shots across the bow there, Josh. That's what he's doing. No one in Scream says, never mind. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, the thing, the thing that bugs me about this franchise, and it never sticks out more than it does in this film, is just how easily and randomly people just fall asleep in these movies. Like, people falling asleep while they're driving and falling asleep at dinner and falling asleep at those pool parties. Like, why is everyone falling asleep all the time? I thought this about Nancy in the first movie, too. It's like, if, you, if you're so worried you're going to fall asleep, why would you take a pillow in the bathtub? Like, maybe leave the pillow and just be a little uncomfortable if you think it might keep you awake. Right. Yeah, like, what I do... Um, you know when I'm editing. Don't. Edit, don't I hope, oh, okay. I was going to talk about bringing something in the bathroom. We don't hear that. Yet. <laughs> when I'm editing podcasts, I stand up at the kitchen table to edit. That's how I do it and yeah, stay awake. Okay. Yeah, that like would do it. Yeah, three in the morning, for example. But um, so another little hilarious thing about this is uh, there, so during the production of this, um, the screenwriter was pitching this idea of the Freddy baby to the studio, and. In this pitch, he was 
describing to a studio executive who was pregnant right then at the time to imagine Freddy's claw tearing out of the of the body of the mother's womb from the inside out. <laughs> and I guess that didn't go over. And as you can well, see, supposedly he, show he pitched that for part four initially. And then she actually really liked that. And oh, really? She, she's the one that brought the, this is all according to the documentary. There, there's a lot of argument about who actually came up with this idea, but he claims he pitched that as an idea for part four. And then she wanted to do it for part five because she, you know, had this new baby and had all these ideas about abortion and all this other stuff that she wanted to cover. And then, so they had like three or four different screenwriting teams come through to try to write this script and it never worked. It never worked out. And she ended up calling that guy back to come back in and write that initial idea. And you're referring to Leslie Boehm. Yes. Okay. I well, gotcha. Well, I stand corrected on that then. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think that did happen. I just think it was for part four. Okay. Oh. So this is supposedly the last film in the Nightmare on Elm Street series that was released on VHS video cassette. So that's kind of mm-hmm. interesting. So somebody out there, some lucky people own this baby on VHS. <laughs> like, huh. so, yep. that, so you're jealous. Wait, one of the how is that possible? Nineteen eighty nine? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had I had VHSs into like for example Batman, which came out Tim Burton's Batman nineteen eighty nine. Right. I had the VHS of that. I mean VHSs went until what like ninety two ish doc? Is that what no? We're... I I they actually had two thousand. I had the Blair Witch Project on VHS, and that's ninety nine. Well, that's yeah. why I was saying the opposite of that, Jason. I'm shocked that this was the last one that came out on VHS because I worked at. Uh, video store during the DVD switchover. Uh, I guess it was a blockbuster at that time. And that was in the year 2000, 2001. Mm. And they were, that's the first time they started switching over from VHS to DVD all the way. Like they carried some DVDs, but they didn't get rid of their VHS until like 2001. Well, IMDb trivia suggests that it's the last one of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. At oh, least. Interesting. But I don't know. I mean, if somebody has a VHS of a later film than this, let us know. That would be I, interesting. I, Nightmare came out on um, VHS because I rented it. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that's true. I think whoever put that in there is. is uh, I'm sick of this false yeah, information. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're sort of. I think they were smoking something. Had to be Freddy's guy. dead at least, right? Because yeah, that was '91, yeah, right? Wow, I'd love to know now. So if anybody yeah. can research that and let us know, oh, that's kind of interesting to me. So right. so when was the end of VHS tapes then? Was that I mean I I like I said, I mean I had I remember I had the Matrix on on VHS. I mean that's ninety nine and, and like say with the Blair Witch project. Um there were any two thousand movies. When was Vertical Limit out? For some reason I remember having that on VHS. Mm-hmm. I think VHS finally died and Oh, two. I think you're right. I think it was around that there when they about right. finally stopped releasing things on VHS. I think it was right around that time. Yeah, and Vertical Limit was year 2000. Now, speaking okay. of VHS, since we're talking about it, um, if this trivia is even You know true, what it could have done? It could have been Laserdisc. I wonder <laughs> if that's what happened. Like, oh. It could have been, but I like not Laserdisc people, was in this era. Not many people had Laserdisc. Laser just died in before two thousand. I, I know that. Yeah, no, yeah, but I'm just saying, like maybe it was. This was the period of time of these movies. Like, 
It, and there was Freddy's Dead and then. Nightmare. That those movies only came out on Laserdisc. Well, it, I don't know because I think Laserdisc. Not too many people had it. That would have been kind of. It was mostly Criterion, I think, who were making things for Laserdisc. Hmm. Um, but hey, I don't know. It's possible. But I, I, I know that you know I had, I had videos well in like into the two thousands. So so at the so, beginning of two thousands. Real quick on the VHS though, I guess the the, um, the three death sequences the scenes that were um edited uh-huh. i supposedly they can be viewed unedited in the original unrated vhs release of this film hmm. if anybody has that maybe you could confirm that but um, that's true so you you have it i i had it but they switched it once it went because media was making them at first and then another company took it over. So it's two different copies of Nightmare 5 out there. But you can't tell the difference when you get it until you op- actually open up the package. Huh. And then once you do open it, how can you <coughs> distinguish between the one that has the unrated? You have to, the only way you can distinguish, you have to actually play the tape. That's the only way you're going to find out for sure. But doesn't it say on the little sticker on front of it? Nope, it doesn't oh. say that it's unrated at all on any of them. Hmm, interesting. Okay, okay. So let's talk about these themes then. I mean, we got some heavy subject matter here. We got this uh, touches on abortion. Teen, just, teen, teen just sorry, I did find Freddy's Dead and New Nightmare on VHS on eBay. Just There you go. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, false doctrine, IMDb. <laughs> Stupid IMDb trivia. So, so abortion, teen motherhood, drinking and driving, bulimia, anorexia. Um, and here's my problem with movies sometimes. Was Jacob the bulimia <laughs> at the end? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was the no, model drunk, chick. You're thinking drunk driving, the fact that he had a bottle of champagne in the truck? Is that what you're... Um, well, there was, uh, he was accused of uh, drunk drinking drink. and driving. Oh, drunk yeah. driving. Okay. But he didn't actually, uh, yes. didn't actually do it, no. And so that was, that was more of an afterthought. Like they're saying, oh, we, he was probably. Right, right. And okay. like there was, there was not actually an abortion in this film, of right. course, but the, like it comes up in the subject matter. And the thing is, like, I've said this before, but my one thing that bugs me about film criticism is like, you know, film critics will say or write things like, this film is a commentary on abortion. And it's like, no, actually it's not, because they just touch on it very briefly. But it's not like this theme is explored. I mean, I think they they touch on these topics, but I don't see them going into them in depth. I mean, do you guys? Maybe if the nun had just aborted Freddy at the beginning, we wouldn't have had to deal with any of this franchise. <laughs> Maybe that's the, oh. the message. Well... And, and well, I guess it was that I was looking at that as more in the dream world because Freddie, we know, had grown to be an adult and had grown to, you know, whether he was a child murderer and so forth. And obviously, there was a time where people looked at him and considered him normal. So the, the Freddie baby, which is pretty demonic and hideous looking, um, I'm guessing it's just a, a dream world concoction. Hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? No, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, yeah. I, I, that's just something they, that, that exists only in the dream world to say, "Hey, here's this evil. Here's the, here's this evil person, and here's the the personification of the evil as a child." 
So again, though, I mean, are you are you saying that that did not exist? I'm saying that the bubble. I mean, how could it? I mean, would you? The whole idea is that that this guy was somewhat normal until he was burned up because he had killed these children. Was there anything about that baby that looked normal to you? I mean, I, I would have. I would have thought it would have been locked away, especially at the time it was born. It would have been locked away forever. Well, that's how I looked as a baby. Just so oh, you know. Okay. Like, but, 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 that, that was you? Yeah, you, that was you, me. You they used me for this you, film. You snarled when you came out and you had that sort of <laughs> unibrow angry look. On your I, I did. They, okay. they don't call me Jay of the Dead for nothing. All right. But no, I see. And this brings up actually a good point about these films, which I think is interesting. Like, for example, you'll have someone who dies in a particular way. Like, let's go back to that waterbed scene, for example. And he he drowns, but he's also stabbed by the claw, and there's lots of blood. And that happens in the dream world. But when the mom finds him dead in his waterbed, there's no blood under the water. He's just drowned and inside the bed. Uh-huh. So... I mean, what are we to take of that? What? How do we uh, make sense of that? Because he is actually killing them, uh-huh. but, but the way that they die isn't always the way, or the wounds don't always show up the same. But, I mean, they seem to in the first film, but like in that film, for example, it didn't. So I don't know what to make of that. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. That might have just been Rennie Harlan, because D- Kincaid also doesn't show his wounds from Freddy stabbing him in the stomach, does he? Nope. No. He has a heart attack. That's right. Yep. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yep. so that's kind of interesting. Another kill scene I wanted to comment on is, um, and, and I wish they had, I mean, they ended up having to cut this out. They had pretty gr- grand plans for this, I guess. Um, but the, the comic book kid... Okay, the, there were supposed to be more, like, actual battling and scenes in the comic book, but... <laughs> take on me, take me on, Josh, that's right. <laughs> so, but I do like, I still think it was really artistic and interesting where they went with it and how they handled it. I don't know, did you like that, um, Willis? Because I liked everything except for Super Freddy. I thought Super Freddy was funny, but I wish they could have did what they wanted to do. But it was just a quick kill, and it was over with, so it didn't drag out too long. Okay. If Station was here, I'll just mention this for her. It's kind of similar in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey when they go to hell, and they did that thing where they the clothes are you know his clothes are normal color, but the background everything's painted gray and white, and that's something that they do in the in bogus journey everything is the actual color in the shot rather than just being like a black and white film stock which is kind of a cool effect yes it is yeah i agree why does he say things like i mean when he when he talks about dr seuss and piglet and and stuff like that i just i'm i'm just curious i just wonder like how that stuff gets in the film because I understand, like, okay, Freddy has one-liners, and, and a lot of times there's some kind of jokey thing, but some of them don't even approach, like, humor. I'm not even being a critic of the humor. I'm just saying it's like, 
wow, that that falls completely flat. I don't even understand how how they come up. Like one one of his lines is, "Where are you going, Piglet? The party's just starting." And I'm like, "What? Like and like what? What else do you have for us here? <laughs> uh, I don't get that." He, I guess, because he only killed three people, so I guess that's his three little piggies. Okay. <laughs> ah, maybe maybe that's okay. I'll give you that. Um more pop culture stuff. Uh skateboarding. I know skateboarding's always been cool, but I remember at this time there was a particular uh like kind of fever around skateboarding cuz I was a skateboarder. Uh, and uh this has Freddie on a skateboard. What would I give to see this young Jason Piles who's a rapper, skateboarder, karate <laughs> kid? Like, and a bad heart. That's right. I, I have it all. Brothers, I have it all. I mean, what you hear today is the culmination of all these experiences. <laughs> oh, wow. But no, Freddie on a skateboard, did that bug you? Because it sure bugs me. Like, <laughs> No, because the, really. the guy that he was killing... Looked like he was a skateboarder as well. So I guess he's True. just doing what he's supposed to be doing. Just but playing in the movie, universe he's in. Uh-huh. This movie is just bonkers balls the the wall anyway, because they was this movie was truly a cash cow. Yep. Okay, Willis. Well, why at the end did they rip off and steal Vincent Price's laughter from Thriller and just tag it on the end of this movie? That's so random and bizarre to me. Do you have any theories on that? No, was it? Was it? No, was it? Um, the movie that did that, or was that the song at the end that did? That's the song that's on the end. Yeah, of that's, it. What that's what, I what that is. That's what. Uh huh. They ain't got nothing to do with the movie. That's just the song. Well, they chose that song. I, I would have been a little offended. By um that so, song. If you were what Vincent Price? <laughs> no, but the fact that they ripped that off and just stuck it right on there on the beginning, I'm like, that's kind of lame. If they're <laughs> gonna do that, I'm gonna do that on every show of horror movie podcast. We're gonna put that oh. laugh in there somewhere. I mean, it's like, well, if you th- I mean, if, <laughs> well, why is that so funny? It's like, well, if, if they get to use it, I mean, hell. Well, well I'm gonna, use it. they might have paid for the right to use <laughs> I mean, it. Well, that was back. Paid for the right to use it. That was back in the late '80s, where rappers was just using people's samples I mean, yeah, for the hell think, of do it. Think, do you think the 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 the, the dialogue lifted from uh, Full Metal Jacket for "Me So Horny"? You think they just ripped that off? I think they probably paid for it. <laughs> I just like that Jay feels like he deserves some sort of Vincent Price reparations. Here. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, well, who are they? Like, why do they get to use it? I, I, they're, the ones, they're the ones who paid for the right to use it. Well, we don't know that they paid for it. A we assume. Of, we don't a lot know. Of You're right. I wasn't, I wasn't there. I, I wasn't there um, <laughs> when they signed the contracts or did not sign the contracts. <laughs> but I will go out on a limb and say they may have paid for it. Here's a scandal. You That's ready? not really going out on a limb. I'll go out on a limb and say they did pay for it. Okay, I got a bigger scandal than that for you. At some it's point. A, someone else laughed? At some point, um, Coke dropped the ball and lost the representation in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise because Pepsi is representing here in this film. And then at the end, they pull out two Pepsis and a Mountain Dew. And then in the theater scene, there's the Pepsi 
which now, is the theater kind of seat. It's not a real Pepsi. They like it's like a sweeted. Um, are you talking about the theater scene from part three? No, 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 no. Um, the the, the movie theater scene was that four or five? Because now I'm like, oh, sorry for part four. <laughs> yeah, the movie theater scene in part four. It's not actually a Pepsi cup. It's like a. It's like you know the prop master made it say Pepsi or something like that. Oh, you're kidding! <laughs> really? So it doesn't actually say Pepsi full. Not blown? in part four, but it, maybe it does in the latter film. I didn't notice in part five. The well, ma- I didn't notice the Mountain Dew and stuff. Well, the picnic at the end, they pull out two Pepsis and Mountain Dew at the picnic, and I'm like, okay, Coke blew it. I don't know what happened. <laughs> they there. pulled out two Pepsis and a Mountain Dew. Yeah. How the hell do you know that? I, you, I you saw sat it. there and you were watching what they were drinking. <laughs> I, I watched them. Here's the thing. I, I watched the movie and oh, sure. I watched the movie too. And I love I love pop. I mean I'm into it big time. I okay. when I see that it's like, you know, Pavlov's dogs on me. Like I'm really excited about it. So I'm just saying. Well my comment is no comment because I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't see that. But I will okay. take your word for it. Yeah, everybody watch it because it's good. It's good stuff. Okay. So, um, real quick question, and Willis will probably know this since he knows so much about the female anatomy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, whereas the rest of us know nothing. Yeah, we're we're absolutely clueless on these matters. But um, when people are falling down into this this hole that looks like the inside of a colon or an esophagus, is that supposed to be a birth canal or the inside of an umbilical cord? It looks like an inside of an umbilical cord to me. Okay. I just wondered about that. A colon or an esophagus. Those are two very different things. <laughs> <laughs> but they both kind of look similar I guess in photographs. I shaped somewhat the same. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They look, um, I mean, I used to have a picture of the inside of my colon, which I would <laughs> show Framed? to people. Not framed, not framed, but that can be arranged. The, over the mantle? That can be arranged, sir, if you need <laughs> if you need something like that. But anyways. Okay. I think this review has lasted longer than any of the script meetings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm kinda mad at Josh right now because he's not even he's not even saying anything else about it, and I know that he loves it. Like uh, I have nothing else to say about it. This is <laughs> Back to back, two of the weirdest podcasts we've ever done. People, I'm worried that people are going to stop listening I, to I'm horror movie. No one is listening to us for the first time on these two reviews because these are the weirdest. Yeah. <laughs> Talking Best. about the inside of your colon, crying out loud, Jay. Well, I mean, <laughs> Mountain Dew in the inside of his colon. Here's the thing is this, is this a horror movie podcast or not? Like, right? <laughs> Anyway, that's pretty, that's pretty horrific. <laughs> that's right, brother. Okay, let's wrap up this review because I'm sick of this movie and I'm <laughs> sick of talking about it. Unless Willis has anything else to say because he is the Freddy expert resident here. All I got to say is it's a fun movie to have on with your friends just to pick out all the inconsistencies and stuff going on because we surely did it when we was reviewing it on our podcast. As a commentary, you know, I don't think we talked too much about the movie. We were just talking junk. <laughs> okay. All right. So what do you rate a Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, Willis? <laughs> I give it a 5.5. Mm, generous. And then is that a rental or 
buy it? <laughs> mm, wait for it to come on cable because it always does. Okay. I gotcha. But you'll have it anyway because movie co- horror collectors will have it in their set because it comes in their box set anyway. So you're going to end up owning it anyway. Okay. All right. Wolfman Josh, what do you rate the dream child? I absolutely will not own this movie and I will not buy four if I am forced to buy five with it, as I've already mentioned. Um, (laughs) I'm also the person who will tell you just watch three movies out of a franchise because honestly, it's more fun to just pretend the other movies don't exist. Um, I'm going to give this movie a three and say avoid it. Wow. Okay. What are those three points for? What? I'm imp- I'm impressed by the director. I think he did a he tried really hard. Like you said, the schedule was limited, um, and I don't think the script was good, and and I don't think the actors were particularly good. But for what he had to work with, I you know he gave it a shot. Okay. All right. So three out of ten. Avoid. And then what do you say, Doctor Shock? Um. Well, first off, let me amend my rating of number two. I'm going to give it a five. I said 3.5 at the beginning of this. I'm going to give it a five because I don't think it was, you know, we're talking about number four. I gave that one a five and I'd probably put them on this even keel and I would give this one probably a 3.5. So this is a 3.5. This one's a 3.5. Yes. So I'm definitely changing number two. Um, but yeah, I'll say 3.5. Um, and I agree with Josh's for the, what the three and the extra 0.5 is I like the Vincent Price laugh at the end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Weirdo. No, I'm just kidding. So for me, this is a, um, I actually like this better than the fourth one because I think it's darker. I think it's more horror esque, more horrific. And, um, I think they were trying to be pretty bold and go after some themes. But the the imagery, I mean, the best thing I have to say for these this franchise and these movies is the imagery is really uh, quite remarkable. I mean, you feel like you're watching something. You're, I mean... The, they did try. They did attempt to do some things interesting, like with, with the imagery, and then, like with the running on the stairs at the end. You know? Yeah, I mean, they, exactly. They were trying to do some interesting things yeah because what is the name of that famous painting that they were rip- riffing off of there on the, the stairs um you got me uh, well it's an mc escher painting he does all of his stuff is kind of in that ballpark he probably has one specific one that they're referencing i mean he does patterns and he does staircases uh-huh. <laughs> things like that uh-huh. he does a lot of bird and fish patterns and things like that as well Right. Okay. Good job knowing the reference there on that, Josh. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I actually. I lived in Holland and he's Dutch. So everything is M.C. Escher in Holland. Oh, okay. Cool. That's not Van Gogh or Rembrandt, I guess. You you just pulled out like a little bit of a slumdog millionaire feather out of your cap right there (laughs) from your life experience. That's impressive. Anyways, um, Jay of the Dead here who speaks in third person. I, I really like the the art artistic nature of a lot of it. I mean, the Freddy baby looks kind of dumb, but honestly, some of it is just kind of intriguing to the mind. I think um, film critic Pauline Kael talked about uh, trash, <laughs> like about film. some film art is just basically trash, and I think 
But some of it is trash, of course, and I don't think this is high art or anything, but it is artistic, and it's artistically done. And so, honestly, I mean, I it's better than the previous film for me, and so I give it a, a 4.5, believe it or not, and I still, oh. I call it an avoid, <laughs> even so. <laughs> but, um, you know, I gotta give them their points, right? They'll be so, ha- they'll be so happy to hear that. I, yeah. I know. Well, I mean, I'm a fair man. Right. I try to be. What's the I difference if you're telling people not to watch their movie? Right. <laughs> because because the thing is, maybe some listeners out there will decide, you know, Jay of the Dead's hard on movies. So if he goes down as low as a four, I'll still watch it and give it a try. And so maybe those people would be like, okay, 4.5, I'll give it a try. That's what. Okay. 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 <laughs> All right. So... Anyway, I think that just about wraps up episode 72 of Horror Movie Podcast. I hope nobody feels cheated because we did this one by the book, everybody. I want to thank you for listening, and I hope you join us again next week. Because, Josh, tell them what we're going to be reviewing next week. Two more films. Mm-hmm. Freddy's Dead and New Nightmare, is it? Yep. Yep, I think it's gonna so. going to be fun. Yeah, and it's going to be a blast, and I'm going to try to just, you know, watch them at 3 o'clock in the morning again. And by the (laughs) way, I have a comment on that. Even though my brain is dead by the time we get to these podcasts on that night, it is extremely, um, I I guess, thematically relevant to watch these films when you're really tired (laughs) and and when you want to go to sleep because my body always wants to go back to bed. And no, I do not sleep through them. I'm awake, but but I I'm fighting like my eyes being tired, and it's neat because the characters are fighting that too. So it's kind of fun to do that. I wonder what you what dream world you would enter. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's that's method right there. Method podcasting. It, it yep. is method. Thank you. Yes, that's right. Is Willis going to join us next week for a new nightmare? Is he? I'm supposed to. That's what you asked me. All so right. hopefully. Right. So let's hey, announce Willis. that right now, and hopefully Ron Martin's going to be on for Freddy's Dead next week as well. So we do, be fun. We do hope so, and we're grateful for Willis. And thanks for being here tonight, Willis. You stepped up to the plate, yep, and you brought it as always. Came, now came early, came early. He wasn't even ready to talk about number four, but joined right in. And, and alas, he was after all. Good job, Willis. So we want to thank you for being here, Willis. And please let the listeners know all the places they can listen to you on your podcasts. Okay, the Terror Troop then started back up, so you can listen to me on there. You can listen to me on the Two Drink Minimum commentaries. You can listen to me on the No F and Way commentaries. And you can look at me on my YouTube page, Wildman Willis. <laughs> okay, excellent. Thank you, Willis. And uh, we'll have all that linked in the show notes for everybody so you can track him down because he is a wild man. What about you, Dr. Shock? What do you tell listeners? Well, same as same as always. Um, DVDinfatuation.com, uh, where I'm writing a movie review a day. Uh, at DVD Infatuation on Twitter. I do have a Facebook page. You can follow the link um, in the show notes. And I am on the Land of the Creeps podcast with um, Greg Amortis, uh, Haddonfield Hatchet, and uh, Jesse. And um, we're doing uh, we're getting into some classic horror actually on our next our next episode. I know we're talking about the, well, Rosemary's Baby. I can't remember what the other film is right off the top of my head now because it's getting late. But I do know we're talking about Rosemary's Baby. Okay. 
Nice. That's good to hear. All right. And I'll go next. Just wanted people to check out Movie Podcast Weekly, where we had a crazy crew reviewing The Martian and Sicario. And we actually had Josh's wife on that show with us, and she brought it, and Josh brought it. It is a must-listen episode, if you ask me, because the two films that we're discussing are great. So if you're a cinephile and you love movies, definitely hear those reviews. And by the way, just go see The Martian and Sicario and then listen because we have spoiler sections in those reviews. It's like a at least a two-hour show and it'll be worth your time. What do you say, Wolfman Josh? You can find me on Movie Streamcast all for the month of October. I'm not doing horror movies, but I'm doing good Halloween movies that are not horror movies. So... I believe Ghostbusters is coming up. I guess will have been released by the time you hear this. Um, the first one I did was Cooties. Uh, we did The Guest. And so just fun kind of like Halloween type movies that aren't necessarily horror films. And that's at MovieStreamcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Icarus Arts. And I suggest you do because that's a good thing to do. All right. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And we love your comments. So make sure you get involved in the horror movie podcast community and keep them coming now. If you haven't listened to our franchise reviews before, what we do is we collect a large majority. I mean, Josh goes through, combs the comments, and we basically play every voicemail that is left regarding a franchise because we don't get a ton of those. And then Josh comes through the comments. So when we do our franchise overview for A Nightmare on Elm Street, we would love to actually have a lot of good material to go off of. So if you got some comments, you want to weigh in, you know, leave your comments. We'll try to get to it on the show. I mean, obviously we get so much feedback and we're grateful for all of it. We can't get all of it in, but we will really try and Of course, the more compelling and uh, provocative your comment is, then the more likely it will be selected by the Wolfman Josh. (laughs) So you can leave a comment in the show notes for any of these episodes. You could also email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at horrormoviecast. And our voicemail number is 801-382-8789. You can find all of our episodes, including the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis. Those are back archives. They're all on our website at horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes, and the best way you can help us out is to leave a review on iTunes. We would seriously love it. And by the way, these long shows, they do get a little bit expensive when it comes to putting up the media files for hosting online. I do have a media file host that I have to pay for. So if you would like to contribute to the life and vitality of Horror Movie Podcast directly, then what you can do is go to moviepodcastweekly.com, our sister site, and in the right-hand column, we have PayPal buttons on the right-hand side. You could leave a donation. It would genuinely help this show keep running. I'm not even joking about that. No, I don't have air-conditioned dog houses or anything else. I mean, those pictures of the inside of my colon, <laughs> yes, I pay good money for those, but not from the PayPal donations, so don't worry. Anyways, I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com, and I'll have that linked in the show notes. And I think that's it for episode 72. We thank you for listening, and join us again next Friday for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
time. This is your bus ride.